Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com, and we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by Rollbar. Move fast and fix things. Resolve errors in minutes and deploy with confidence. Head to rollbar.com slash changelog. Request a demo. Get started today. It's loved by developers, trusted by enterprises, and most of all, we use it here at Changelog. Move fast and fix things with Rollbar. Once again, rollbar.com slash changelog. Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows at the changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at JS Party FM. And now on to the show. All right, everyone. Welcome all to another JS Party. And we like to clear the stage right up front and just say this is not and i repeat not a javascript party do you hear me oracle's lawyers this is a <laughs> js party and we're not interested in any ceases or any desists so uh js party thank you very much the jared santo party oh oh yes that does sound nice welcome to my party my name is jared santo i'm joined today by three awesome panelists Nick Nisi, who uh, probably crawled out from underneath a pile of conference talks to be here with us. Nick, what is up, my man? Oh, that is correct. Yes. How are you, how are you doing? Pretty good. Um, tell the people how many conference talks we have to go through by, what is it, Monday or Tuesday of next week? By Tuesday, we have 160 conference talks to go through. And how many have you read so far? Whoa. I have read nine. Nine. So that's nine more than <laughs> I have. <laughs> I do not envy you your weekend. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just procrastinating for as long as I possibly can, and then I'll hate myself later. Safia Abdallah also here. Safia, it looks like you've been curling up with the curl code base lately. I have. um, Not just for the punny effect of it with all this cold weather we're having in Chicago, um, but I've been reading the curl code base and writing code anthropology blog posts about it actually just finished writing tomorrow's blog post a couple of minutes ago. So stay tuned for that. Very cool. We did a show with Daniel Stenberg. I think it was 17 years of curl. And he uh, told us all about his history with curl. And we're actually having him back on the changelog sometime this year because he's now uh, celebrating his 20th birthday, not his 20th, curl's 20th birthday, which is pretty amazing for what is Almost completely a one-man show in terms of the bulk of the code. So very cool. We also have uh, Kevin Ball here. Kevin, I listened back last week and I realized that Suze was referring to you as K-Ball and I wasn't. I was calling you Kevin. And so now I feel like I was dissing you somehow. Is K-Ball what we should call you from now on or is Kevin cool? What what do you like to be called? Uh, Well, I'm more and more going by K-Ball professionally. There's 20 million Kevins out there. And I introduced myself as Kevin. And five minutes later, somebody says, hey, what was your name again? But if I say K-Ball, people remember me. So go with K-Ball. K-Ball it is. Yeah, I also noticed when I try to 
at mention you on Twitter from like the JS Party FM, uh, and I start typing out K, even KB or Kevin. There's a gazillion of them, so I I feel your pain there. But only one K ball. That's right, and we got him. We got him here with us. So super excited. Today's a big topic. First of all, I'm going to tell you what it's not. It's not personal digital assistants. Remember those? Those are PDAs. It's not NWA, which is widely considered to be one of the greatest and most influential groups in the history of hip-hop music. It's not NDAs or Friendias. Please don't do those. It's not the NRA, the NBA, the PBA, the PBS, TBS, CBS, or even TBN. Those are all TLAs, but they are not today's topic. That is PWAs, a.k.a. Progressive Web Apps. Now, I know what the listeners might be thinking, especially if you're hardcore and you've been listening to JS Party all the way back to episode four, which is when we had a show about PWAs. And yes, go back and listen to that. Alex, Michael, and Rachel did a great job. But this is a different time, different panel, and things have changed with PWAs. So we're here to talk about them today. And K-Ball, this was your idea. So I'm going to tee it off to you to go ahead and get us started probably with the definition, and then we'll just go from there. Yeah, for sure. Well, first I want to say why have things changed, and the, the reason is it's no longer just Google, right? Back back in the day, it was Google pushing this with Chrome, uh, but now Safari's added support. Microsoft is treating PWAs as first-class citizens, so there's a whole uh, new world when it comes to PWA. So PWA uh, means progressive web app, and it's kind of similar to thinking about progressive enhancement, where you're adding things on, uh, you know, in design, you would progressively enhance uh, with JavaScript or things like that, except here it's talking about the network. So you want something that's going to function in some form, even without a network connection or with a very slow network connection, and then scale up to be a full featured web connected application. So there's certain aspects of it, which I guess are required. I mean, the PWA designation, first of all, is somewhat of a marketing term or it's a, it's a loosey goosey thing, right? It's not, um, there's a, there's checklists and stuff, but it's not like you're going to go and like be like NPM install PWA or something like that. And like, it's looser than that, right? Oh yeah. It's much looser. And you know, as we'll talk about each one of the different, uh, platforms treats them a little bit differently, but there are some required features. Uh, you got to have service workers, uh, which are super cool, even independent of the rest of this, uh, and something worth talking about and diving into. Uh, you got to be running over HTTPS, so it's got to be secure, uh, same origin, all these things tied into that. And then you need to have a manifest file, which is what makes your, your web application, quote unquote, installable. Um, you know, it describes it. It's similar to what you'd ship in if you've ever built like a browser extension or a native app where you have a manifest file that says, this is what this thing is. Here's where it lives. Here's what the images are that you would use to, to show it on your home screen, things like that. Can you talk a little bit about how these three things evolved to be the quote unquote required features? Like what was the process for designating that if you wanted to be called a progressive web app, you had to do at least these three things? That's a great question. I don't know the behind the scenes on that. Um, and one thing to, to remember is these things really started with Google pushing this and as something where they wanted these, uh, they, you know, Google, there's been this back and forth uh, over time between Google and Apple and Google and Apple saying, you know, web focus versus native app focus. And Google started pushing these as a way to, to bridge the gap. Now, I can give you my ideas for why those are the required ones. Uh, service workers are kind of the minimal thing that you need in order to be able to function offline. 
They provide essentially a cache and proxy functionality where you can say, okay, something that would go out to the web can provide uh, can store cache data and serve that up if it doesn't have a web access. HTTPS uh, is saying, well, we need these things to be secure if we want to treat them as native applications that people need to be able to trust them in the same way. And the manifest is what gives you accessibility to to sort of put something on the home screen and have it be installed. So that those would be my thinking as to why those are the required sets, but I actually I don't know the the reasoning that went behind that. I think that the first um, the actual first iteration of this kind of came from Apple uh, in the first um, iPhone release, where uh, the iPhone didn't really have an app store and there was no way to create native apps. And Steve Jobs's uh, vision was HTML5 and Web 2.0 all the way for that. And so you could, from the very, from the very first iPhone, install a, essentially a bookmark to the home screen. And it was nothing like what they are today. Um, but it was, it was a way to, to kind of have that app-like functionality, being able to extend the OS without doing that. And then Apple really did nothing with that for years. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, yeah, it's good that, that Google has kind of picked that up and, and coined the term and, um, with these technologies really made it possible to have more of a native-like experience uh, from just the web. I remember when they announced that, and it was like at the end of WWDC keynote, I believe, and they said something like, we got a really sweet solution for you, and everybody was pining to do apps on the iPhone, because I think it was the second round iPhone 3G, perhaps, um, or maybe there was the original iPhone, perhaps, and I think with the iPhone 3G maybe is when the App Store launched, but... I don't remember the history, but I do remember him saying we got a really sweet solution. And he said web apps, basically, right? HTML. And the crowd just deflated as he said that. <laughs> and that's because back, like the technology sucked back then. I mean, the, the amount of oh, yeah. memory in the phone was so, so much that if you had a few open Safari tabs, they would refresh all the time. Like you couldn't really do it back then. Um, and things have progressed and Google's definitely pushed it. Yeah. So I was just going to clarify, not just for myself, but for the audience. But when you hear or you see a headline that says, you know, Safari just added support for PWAs, what that's really saying is Safari added features to the browser that would aid in the development of PWAs, things like maybe an API to access the cache or service worker support and things like that. Yeah, they turned on service workers is basically what it means. Yeah, and very silently. They didn't even have a, an announcement about that in the, the release notes or anything. I'm having trouble phrasing this question, but you know, is there a proactive effort behind the addition of these features, or do you think Apple is just trying to catch up with Google? Do you think there's a future for PWAs on iOS? If you look at the drawbacks that iOS imposes, you know, they, they have a really awkward install flow. You know, they don't let you do the same. Google lets you, you know, basically show a banner to install your, you know, if you're on a website that is PWA, you can install it right there. And, and they don't have any way for you to do that. You have to know to click to, you click to share and then go to bookmark it essentially like that old style. Uh, they don't support push notifications. They don't give you access to a bunch of the APIs that Android does. Uh, and they have some pretty weird limitations on data and, and uninstalling data if you haven't used it for a while. Um, so my sense is they haven't fully bought in. And you're there. I don't know exactly why they've done anything in that. It's probably you know, pressure from the, <laughs> yeah. the web world. You know, Safari has kind of become the, the IE6 of modern browsers in a lot of ways. Like They're lagging behind on so many dimensions. Um, 
And so they're probably feeling a lot of pressure there. Um, I know uh, someone who works on their their browser team. I haven't talked to to her in years, but you know she was very very uh, adamant about web standards and pushing. So I'm sure that their engineers have a lot of you know desire to make this happen, but it, it doesn't seem to be a company priority. So do you think that because iPhones and iOS are such popular devices with I don't want to say the mass market because I think iPhones are specifically popular in the West. Um, but do you think the fact that there hasn't been a proactive effort to push PWAs by Apple is like the average Joe and Jane aware of PWAs? Is this something that has reached the point where like the average consumer knows that they can use a web app? I wouldn't think so. Kind of to what K-Ball was saying with um, the awkwardness of of even being able to install it. And uh, if you you look at some of the, the PWAs that uh, example apps out there and, and like real P- PWAs like, uh, Twitter light and, um, Lyft and others, Apple will still show you the banner for installing the native app at the top of the screen. Uh, but there's no indication of really how to install the, the PWA. And so it's, it's very awkward. I don't think that, um, kind of like what, what was mentioned, I just don't think that they're fully bought into it yet. And so I think it, it's still an uphill battle for that. How challenge us to think about even ourselves, like let alone mainstream mobile users. But how about, you know, tech developer-y, nerdy mobile users? I know what PWAs are, and I have zero installed on my phone. How about you guys? Is it, am I an anomaly, or is it still just, it's still like burgeoning but hasn't arrived? After service workers were supported in iOS, I installed Twitter Lite just to play with it and see what it's like. And I've had it on my phone ever since, and I occasionally play with it, uh, but I, I mostly use TweetBot, so it's just more of a curiosity rather than something that I actually use every day. Yeah, I don't I don't use them. Um, though this kind of brings up an interesting point of, you know, what is the audience for which these things really make sense? Uh, you know, and even looking at, you know, you know Satya pointed out, iOS is very much a, a Western phenomenon. You know, you're talking the U.S. And, and Western Europe are the ones where iOS has gotten huge penetration. Uh, and, but even in that audience, the behavior of folks on iOS devices versus Android devices is very different, right? Like there's documented, uh, you know, studies showing that folks will install way more applications on iOS. They're more willing to pay for things. All of these different uh, pieces. And so they may not be the market for PWAs. Uh, if I think about the folks that I interact with on a regular basis, the, the young man who's the most excited about PWAs lives in India because you have this vast market of folks who are using slow connections, who are using either very low-end Android phones or feature phones, um, who don't have space. And like if you dig through... You know, one of the big benefits of a PWA is it's way smaller to install than a native application, but way less bandwidth intensive than a, a web application. And so you can you know target those folks who just don't have the data and the bandwidth to play with. I think that's that's a very good point. One of the things that I'm thinking of, like I don't have any of them installed on my phone, but yet Safari, like mobile Safari on iOS is probably like my top used app behind maybe Mail, right, or maybe Tweetbot. But I live inside Safari tabs. And aren't these, I mean, because PWA is very much like a progressively enhanced thing and it's an opt-in to certain things, a lot of these features and these, some of it's really just even techniques, are still 
hugely beneficial regardless of whether or not we're going to hit install the home screen, right? You can still benefit your users without the last mile of getting your icon on their desktop. That's a great point. Um, I don't know if it was K-Ball or Nick who was just discussing um, their friend in India who had an interest in PWAs, but that reminded me of when I visited my hometown, um, which was probably pre when PWAs were really popular. This must have been like 2013, um, 2012 maybe. Um, and I'm from Sudan, um, so pretty rural area. Um, there's internet access, but it's not like super fast or anything. And people tend to usually have like Android phones. Um, and one of the most popular ways for accessing things like Instagram and Facebook was mobile applications, um, or sorry, not mobile applications, responsive mobile web-based apps. So you're right, it, it was a similar thing where people don't really make the jump to, I'm gonna add this to my home screen and treat it like an app. It still very much resides within Safari or Chrome or whatever mobile browser they're using. Um, but I think just the fact that, for me, it seems like progressive web apps are less a technology as much as it is a way of forcing developers to think about design and programming in a certain way and under certain constraints. This episode is brought to you by the O'Reilly Fluent Conference. Make your plans now to attend Fluent in San Jose, California, June 11th through June 14th to learn the latest JavaScript tools and methods. Be part of what past attendees call, quote, a great center for modern web development and disruption and, quote, the best place to see the current state of the web. Use the discount code JSParty to save 20% on most passes. Learn how to build a better web with better user experiences at O'Reilly Fluent Conference. Head to fluentconf.com to learn more and register. So Safia, you mentioned a, a set of methodologies and as we've said a few times, progressively, you know, you can dip your toe in the water and then add more of these features, which make the, the mobile experience of a web app better. Let's talk about then what makes like a minimally viable PWA. Uh, for instance, we have changelog.com. It's very much a content focused site, but you can be signed in and there's, you know, there's lots to it. And we've had people ask, specifically one fella, even in our GitHub issues, say, hey, can you make this a PWA? And I just said, sure, I don't really know. What do I have to do to have answered that with the, in the affirmative? And so let's start there and then we can build from there. So Google has a checklist uh, that you can go through to, to say that. Now, I don't know if all of that is, is um, required for a minimum PWA, but... Uh, it's a starting point. Well, we talked about the required features, you know, service workers, HTTPS, and a manifest. So we're already on HTTPS, so I guess checkbox one. When you just say service workers is a required feature, what does that mean? Because a service worker is a generic API. You can use it for lots of stuff, right? What What do you have to do with a service worker? Just in, in, invoke one or install one, and you've got a PWA? Is that is that helpful? 
or is it about offline caching? What's it about? I think it's really about providing some sort of interactive experience while you're offline. Um, so, you know, if we were to take the changelog.com example, um, are you, is this being rendered, like, is this either a static HTML or when you're lo- logged in, is it acting basically as a single page app or is it hitting the server for every request to render HTML? It hits the server every time. My feeling is we'd probably need to re-architect that a little bit um, and at least to have, uh, you know, you could do something lightweight where you're actually you know, hitting the server uh, from a shell that pulls in the HTML. But basically you need some way to have a, an experience when there's no access to the server. Uh, and the service worker is what gives you that because the service worker is basically, you know, a, an inline proxy, you know, something that is getting between your page, your app and the API uh, that can then cache things. So you could have a, a minimalistic experience that has your user info and say the last set of, uh, you know, updates or whatever that was there cached so that they have something to show you if there's no network connection. Yeah. While K-Ball was just talking, I thought it would be fun to head over to changelog.com and run it's always Lighthouse. Fun. <laughs> it's always fun. Um, Lighthouse is the little um, automated tool that the Google team made that basically runs through the checklist of like PWA type things to see how you measure up. Are you sure you don't want to run this on Zarf instead? I mean, this might be embarrassing <laughs> for me. <laughs> Zarf is, Zarf is pretty kidding. good. There's a service where it's like decent. All right, tear us apart. What are, what are we doing here? I'll start with what you performed best in and then go down. So there's a section on the Lighthouse checklist for best practices and you all scored an 81% on that. It's uh, a B minus, um, right? Yeah, that you know, you you're not going to get grounded for that, so that's okay, fine. Good. So it looks like there's three things that it complained about. Um, four browser errors were logged onto the console, not using HTTP two for resources, and something about a manifest short name that was truncated when displayed on home screen. I have no idea what that means. That that's the name that uh, like if your if changelog was like the awesome changelog website if if that was the title of this page, mm-hmm. short name would mm-hmm. be what is actually displayed on the home screen when you add it to a home screen on Android or iOS. Actually, I don't know if iOS actually iOS does use that, but iOS allows you to change that whereas Android I think doesn't. Is that just a meta tag basically? It goes in the manifest.json. Okay. You did really good on SEO, you got an 80%. Good job. Um, there were just some links, I guess, that were not, didn't have all the proper metadata. Um, okay. 75% on accessibility. Um, mm. Some things didn't have labels and color contrast. Progressive web app is uh, 55%. Whoa. Well, I've grounded. never, we, we, yeah, we're, that's not grounded. That's failing. <laughs> it just flunked. Uh, like you gotta repeat, you gotta grade on a curve. That's right. We gotta remember that we (laughs) haven't actually, we haven't been trying for that. So, you know, this is like a starting point for us. We can get better. So So I'll I'll discuss some of the things that it says you did right. Congrats for using HTTPS and for redirecting all HTTP traffic to HTTPS. Thank you. That was a plus. Um, you've got page load that is fast enough on a 3G network. So whoop for that. Nice. Um, it says that you've also got um, a valid 
tag set up on like the viewport meta tag thing where you set it to like initial scale or whatever. I'm not mm. making any sense, but I think people might know what I'm talking about. And content is sized correctly for the viewport. Um, so I guess that's saying it's responsive. Um, and it says contains some content when JavaScript is not available. So I guess it loads all right. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. You failed because mm. um, you did not register a service worker. So that's what K-Ball was talking about earlier. Um, does not respond with HTTP status code 200 when offline. Um, you don't prompt the user to install the web app. Um, it's not configured with a custom splash screen and the address bar does not match brand colors, um, which can be done, I guess, with <laughs> address the bar. color meta tag. That's like super PWA, right? Like we got our, yeah, our address it, bars matching our brand colors. Actually, that's the kind of thing Adam um, probably be into. So we should probably look into that. And it's got a nifty thing here also on this lighthouse tool that says, you know, things you might want to check manually, which is. Does your site work cross-browser? Do page transitions work smoothly? Does each page have a URL? So are things deeply linkable? So yeah, this is a cool tool. You did all right. Well, thank you. We got some real-time uh, follow-up from the chat. Corbin points out that he ran it on Google.com. Now, that's like one of the best websites in the world, I, I hear. Google.com gets 55 as well on their progressive web app scoring. And so we're what? at least in decent company. <laughs> Isn't this their idea? <laughs> Does anyone listening work at Google and want to explain? Yeah, that's uh, the, the, the pot calling the, the kettle black, I believe. So, Well, Google is targeting Android, right? And they they bake search in, so they don't care. Search is already mm. baked into all these mobile. What is interesting there, though, is it, so that's highlighting like bullet point by bullet point, but it's not necessarily giving us any sense of like what, how much of an architectural change would be needed to make it work, right? Like if yeah. you're, if you're, site is architected on this idea of everything is going back to the server to uh, to pull content. It's not clear that that's going to be, even if you're getting a reasonably score everywhere, but service workers, I'm not sure if that's going to be an easy implementation to do. Like, could we just put a service worker that caches HTML content? I don't know if that's sufficient. Yeah, I don't know either. And the, and the question becomes, I mean, is there a certain, because I mean, we're basically a content site, right? So, you know, think of changelog.com. For those who haven't been to the website for a while, of course, all of our podcasts are hosted well. We also have new, our homepage is filled with news items, right? Which is, uh, think of it like a really amazing, like the best ever link blog, right? It, besides what I've seen previously, what else could I cache and provide offline that would be of any use to somebody? without hitting our server. There's really not much else there. Maybe recent episodes I've listened to, but now you're taking up, you know, 100 megs of space. Um, so maybe, the, I mean, there are certain things like Let's Encrypt, right? HTTPS. Everybody should have HTTPS websites, but should everybody have PWAs? That's, I guess, the bigger question. Or is it for a certain class of things? Good question. Well, and some of it comes back to what Sachi was saying about this not being just about something that we can you know, handle offline behavior, but better performance, better interaction, right? Like if you can use a service worker to cache, uh, you know, most recent content and, uh, all your JavaScript and, and CSS or something like that, you can provide somebody something that feels like it's ready instantly, 
even if to interact with it, you're going to need to go back to the server, right? It's going to be something that has a much better interaction paradigm for somebody who's on a slow network connection. Fair enough. So what, aside from getting content when your connection is slow, I mean, that's basically the, the, the baseline here uh, with service workers. The other big aspect of it is access to the home screen. Now, there are certain people, we, we have an article that we linked up to recently called I Built a PWA and Published It Into Three App Stores. Here's what I learned. And basically what they learned was it took a lot of work, especially specifically not building the PWA took a lot of work, but dealing with all the different app stores took a lot of work. And particularly Apple. Yes, particularly Apple. Is access to the app stores uh, the carrot for these or is it just the home page? Well, for everything but iOS, there's more than that, right? It's not just the app store, but like if you install one of these things on Android, you get access to speech recognition APIs. You get access to other native functionality. Uh, I think you get access to Bluetooth, a couple other things. Uh, if you install one of these things in, on Windows via the Microsoft Store, you actually get first-class access to tons of Microsoft-specific APIs, even though this thing was built as a, a web page. Hmm. So it can get you access to a lot of other pieces. You can get uh, push notification access, the ability to push notifications onto the device, which is huge for folks who are doing mobile marketing. That's one of the big pushes for get people to install an app so I can push junk to them. Uh, it's not great for consumers necessarily, but if they're done tastefully, that's valuable. All those things are available for devices that are not iOS. So I'm curious to know, Cable, it seems like a lot of the special features that you mentioned when it comes to something being a PWA on a mobile app is having access to like these phone capabilities. Um, so if you had a, let's say you were consulting with a company and they came to you with their app um, that was like, I don't know, some like sort of like web-based responsive app. And they were like, oh, we want to make this a PWA. What would you look for in their app's functionality um, or their code base where you would be like, you need to right away do these three things um, that would push you towards getting a PWA? Or would you say, no, you're not really going to benefit that much from adding service workers to your app? The first thing I'd look for is the same thing I'd look for in somebody who was thinking to package up a web app using PhoneGap or something like that, or Cordova, which is what it's called now, uh, which is essentially, do you have a clean separation between your front end and your back end? You know, is there a well-defined set of APIs that you're calling to get data and your rendering is happening on the front end? Or is it fuzzy? You know, a lot of older applications, they may have pieces that are behaving kind of in a single-page app fashion, but they're also loading data uh, in, you know, they kind of render up an HTML page that also includes this uh, app, and they do that to handle authentication and various other things. If you've got that kind of intermingling, it's going to be a little bit more of a pain to separate things out and make it feel clean. Whereas if you've got a clean separation and you're already handling authentication and all of your API calls, expecting that your front end is separated cleanly from your back end, it's gonna be a lot simpler to put in a caching layer, to put in something separate, to basically you know, treat this thing as something that will work offline. You know, that's already when I, when I look at folks who are saying, hey, I wanna package up a Cordova app, um, that's the first thing I look for is like, how well separated are your front end and your back end? You know, there, there's architectural questions about how are you fetching data. 
Um, something I haven't had the chance to play around with that much, but I think makes for some very interesting things here is if, are you using a GraphQL based fetch where your backend is essentially just serving up exactly what you want? Or are you using a more REST-based approach where you're fetching resources and kind of keeping track of those? My intuition is it might be easier to do a true caching layer if you're fetching all the resources in a different way, but that might be just because I haven't fully wrapped my head around what GraphQL enables. The reason I go there is because I think in GraphQL, you're, you're fetching exactly what you want right now, which is great, but if you want to provide sort of a full experience, that what you want is going to change over time. So you'd have to think ahead of time. Okay, what's my base set? Okay, fetch that, make sure I cache that. But now that I'm talking that out, I don't know that that would actually be any harder. That would be something to look at is like, what is the structure of the API that this thing is talking to? And does it make for something that's going to be easily cacheable? So we have a few uh, example apps out there, which uh, are bigger websites that usually have native apps. Some of them still do. Uh, Twitter, the big one, right, which has Twitter Lite and still has the Twitter mobile app for iOS and I believe Android, although they've, I think they sunsetted the Mac app, which was a shame because, well, it was it was in disrepair anyhow. But we have Twitter Lite. Um, Pinterest now has a PWA and they recently released some metrics that says that the their uh, engagement on the Pinterest PWA has beaten their previous web experience, and then they said as well as their native app engagement, which seems pretty compelling if it's true. I don't know why they would <laughs> say if it wasn't true, but it seems almost unbelievable that it was more engaging than their native app. Has anybody used these? Nick, you mentioned that you had Twitter Lite um, installed, and would you be happy with this instead of your TweetBot or, or your Twitter? I guess TweetBot would be an unfair comparison, but you know your Twitter.app on your phone? Definitely. Um, aside from not being able to get like push notifications, which actually could be a feature, um, it's, a, it's a pretty nice experience. Uh, really, it, it's, a little, like, it, it's a little weird when you, when you install it. Um, Safia installed it, installed it during the break and uh, ran into the same issues that I had installing it over again um, with it just not really working right away. And also the apps, um, specifically, I'm just talking specifically on iOS. Uh, they, it's still not, not quite there yet on iOS. It does feel like a native app once it's installed and actually I'm logged in and, and running. Uh, it's very smooth, very quick to, to do things, uh, to navigate around, to tweet and do all of that. Um, but it doesn't really have any integration with the rest of iOS at all. So any kind of external links uh, are going to be thrown into a different app, uh, or thrown into Safari, uh, and then there's no way to really get back to Twitter Lite from Safari without having to go back. There's no, it's not going to open twitter.com in that PWA. Uh, so it just, it's it doesn't feel at home yet on iOS, but uh, it is nice. Uh, I do like the the idea that you can just go to go to the app in Safari and kind of try it before you install it, uh, so you don't really have to do all of that. That's probably one of the biggest benefits of PWAs. Mm, that's a really interesting point. Uh, it reminds me of of something that a uh, gentleman named Kieran Farr was talking about with WebVR and why WebVR was a substantially better uh, platform than native VR because it lets you engage progressively. You know, it lets you 
start and see some of the experience and then get a little bit deeper and then get a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. And PWAs have the potential at least to, to give us that same thing for mobile applications. You know, I can start, I play with it on the web and I get it a little bit deeper and give it some permissions and, and install it. And it feels as good as native in theory, or it could get there. Uh, but I, I was able to try that out ahead of time and not have to commit and give it a whole bunch of permissions up front and all whatever stuff. Right. And an added benefit, you didn't have to download a 70 megabyte app to, to do anything with it. You could just download exactly what you were playing with. And then once you decided to install it, then you get to download everything else, but you don't have to do that up front. The size thing is big too. Like looking, I was just glancing as you're talking through the Pinterest study and you know, they, they compare the size of an Android app download about 10 megabytes, iOS 56 and the PWA when you first install it, it's 150K and it'll progressively load resources as it needs it. That's a huge difference. It is. And if you're on like a feature phone or something like that, where you have a few megabytes of memory, you're not even on one of these smartphones, like going back to our, our thing about the audience, you know, huge parts of the developing world are still on feature phones with barely any space. Hey everyone, I'm Tim Smith, senior producer here at Changelog. You know how important it is to stay in the know. And our weekly newsletter helps you and thousands of other developers do exactly that. It's the developer news that matters, nothing more and nothing less. Visit changelog.com and subscribe today. So we're definitely seeing some specific use cases where a PWA makes tons of sense. And then we're seeing other places where it's like, well, you could benefit from certain features. And we all agree that giving offline access or providing a cursory user experience to people who haven't gotten you know, the full access to our data yet is a, is a win all around. Um, but thinking about like what's really the sweet spot for PWAs, it seems like you know, Pinterest may have found one. The, the Twitter Lite app makes a whole bunch of sense. I was thinking more about, like, what could changelog.com be that's different than just a, a feed of, of links? And I was thinking on the audio side, now one, you know, one app, which is on most people's phones, it's a podcast player. And so I guess my question to, to the panel would be, uh, would it be weird or would it be appropriate? Like, maybe you go to changelog.com website and it is what it is. Like, it's news up front. But when you say, you know, install to home screen or whatever you do, or maybe even in the app stores, when you install it, it's a different experience. Like maybe it's a podcast player that has, you know, just change log network shows, but you could prefetch them. You could say, save this for offline. You could create queues, which would be local. Um, I guess, first of all, would that be off-putting to have like two separate experiences or is that something people are doing? And then secondly, you know, would limitations on the phone, I don't know what the cache, like how much data could we download? I just want to open that up for your guys' thoughts. Well, I already use the podcast app and I think a lot of folks do, but what I don't get through that is the live stream. So what might be neat is, hey, you know, pull this thing down and suddenly I've got, you know, live stream capability that can do more in terms of prefetch or do whatever. Maybe it's not quite live, but it's, 
slightly behind live and then stores it. You know, you, you could have, you know, right now you have to log on live at that time to get the unfiltered and hear us joking around about rap uh, and right. things like that. Uh, but maybe with the, the app, you get that for the rest of the day or something. That's a good idea. Would it be a super weird experience to have like a website and then when you say install to homepage, it's like a different thing altogether? Or would that be welcomed by people, do you think? I feel like it would be such a weird experience for the transition from a web app running on Safari to a progressive web app um, on my home screen to be different. Um, so like on the break, I installed Pinterest, which as I'm scrolling through it now, I realized was a really bad decision because <laughs> I think I might have a new addiction. But you know, I had a I had the same experience I had with Twitter where I like signed up for a Pinterest account and then like set up my account and whatever. And then I went and did the save to screen thing. And what I was expecting in like a dream universe was basically everything I was doing in the browser would now be in an app on my screen and I could switch and I'd be like on my feet again and ready to rock and roll. But then I like, it didn't work. I couldn't log in. Weird things are happening. Everything's breaking. The universe is terrible. Um, so yeah, that, that experience and you know the same with Twitter where it wasn't a seamless jump into the app from the web application uh, kind of just turned me off a little bit because I was expecting something more maybe there's like a like an uncanny valley yeah maybe it's the language of that Apple uses where it says add to home screen when I think about that it feels like I'm like adding whatever I was just doing to the home screen like it shouldn't be different it's just like almost a way to organize it I don't know am I making sense do you think that that could be a limitation of iOS and, and the way that PWAs are currently treated yeah I should add that this is my experience on a iPhone 6S running iOS that's like very old and has been through a lot. My negative experiences thus far with both the Twitter PWA and the Pinterest PWA might just be my bad luck. Um, but sans what device I was on, if I was, you know, turning something into an app on my home screen, I expect the experience to be the same. I feel like as a user, one of the reasons I use a computer is because I can reliably get the same information and experience every time I log on and there's like no surprises. I think that makes sense. And coming back to the point uh, that was being made at the end of the last segment, you know, you kind of want this to be progressive. You want it to kind of draw you further and further into the experience. So I don't think you'd necessarily want to take away functionality, but you might add more functionality. Right. That makes a lot of sense. You don't want to jolt people out of what their expectations are. Right, principle of least surprise and all that, where you'd be like, surprise, now we're a podcast app. And it's like, wait a second, I just I just wanted to change log on my desktop. Um, we, we may be suffering a little bit here from lack of diversity in mobile device usage as uh, 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 K-Ball, I'm not sure about you, but I think the rest of us are on iOS as Me our too. daily drivers. Yeah, you are. So yeah. we're four for four there. So we're not representing Android experience very well. well. I guess we'll have to just apologize for that and then maybe move on to... Uh, something completely different, which is Microsoft's implementation. Cable, tell us about uh, what's going on with the Microsoft store there. Yeah, so that was something that was pretty interesting is Microsoft published a post saying, hey, welcome PWAs to the Microsoft store. And they have uh, the ability for any progressive web app to be a first-class citizen in the store. Uh, you discover it in the store, you find it. They are adding things automatically. So they're scraping the web, you know, they already do that for Edge, 
they're scraping the web and if they find something is a PWA that scores highly or whatever, they will add it automatically to their store to be discovered there. And they also let you submit things in sort of the standard way. And what they do is they say, if you install through the store, then your PWA gets treated as a first-class citizen by Windows. They inject a whole bunch of Microsoft-specific APIs into your global JavaScript scope. So you, suddenly you can access all of these guts, uh, you know, deep in the guts pieces of Windows through JavaScript. Uh, and essentially do anything that any other app in the Microsoft ecosystem can. It's different than the approach that Google has taken with Android, where they also expose a bunch of things, but they've kind of tried to go through the standards bodies and say, hey, we're going to create a standard for how you access push notifications. There's a push API. We're going to create a standard for how you access voice recognition and then implement that in Chrome and what have you. Microsoft is basically saying, you know what? We'll just throw all of our APIs that are already implemented at you. And if you want to use them, you can. And one of the things that uh, this conversation jogged my memory about Microsoft supporting PWAs is uh, PWA support on Chromebooks with Chrome OS. I own a sad little Chromebook that I use sometimes (laughs) for writing and stuff. Why is it sad? You know, he's just... He's got 32 gigabytes of storage space, two gigabytes of memory. He's like the baby of the computer family. Yeah, have you have you used a Chromebook? They're they're kind of sad. <laughs> Are they? I've never used one. Yeah, I, I use them exclusively for writing. Uh, do you do that because uh, the the platform constrains you to only writing because it can't do much else, or why do you do that? Oh, I do it because my big distraction in life, if I can't write or do anything, is to code. So since I can't really code on a Chromebook, I know some people do, but I personally don't. Um, it forces me to concentrate on writing. Ooh, I had I had to do that once. Code on a Chromebook. It was it was an interesting experience. <laughs> <laughs> so what I ended up doing, I mean, I I run all my development. I'm kind of old school, so I do all my development in the terminal. I use Tmux and Vim through everything. Yes. So what I ended up doing <laughs> is setting up a virtual server with an environment and just using the Chromebook to SSH in. And so then my most of my dev environment was just normal because I'm using Vim and Tmux the same way I would otherwise. However, debugging was a pain in the ass and dealing with assets because suddenly yeah. any sort of local asset, I've got to figure out how do I get it up to my virtual server? And if it's not quite right, how am I going to manipulate it and tinker with it? And that was where I really felt the pain. I've been considering a setup like that for streaming because when I live code on Twitch, my laptop starts on fire because it's doing all the things. And I'm like, and specifically like our app is in Elixir. And so that's a, you know, a a compiled language uh, to Erlang and like compilation times, which are normally like milliseconds. I don't even notice them when I'm live streaming and my video is doing its thing and my network is doing its thing. All of a sudden compile times take forever. And so now I'm, you know, people are watching me live code and we're like, no, we're going to compile this and we're going to sit here and twiddle our thumbs. So I was like, I need some sort of like remote, box that's actually doing the, the heavy lifting and go back. I'm a, I'm a terminal guy as well, although not as big of a Vim fan as you and Nick are, but um, yeah, I need some sort of setup like that. Now I wouldn't do a Chromebook, but I'm just thinking of uh, a remote coding setup that I could use. So for those who are interested in Chromebooks for like productivity type stuff, I Googled around and it looks like in response to Microsoft supporting PWAs on their desktop, 
Google started adding support for PWAs on Chrome OS and it's under a feature flag, but it looks like you can do most of the same things like adding it to your shelf. Um, it auto detects when something is a PWA, um, like the Starbucks app looks like is the example they're referencing. Um, so it's interesting to see this not just happening on mobile where we think of it, but also on the desktop. It's kind of cool. Well, let's uh, let's round out this conversation by getting big picture perhaps again and seeing if we can have any real actionable takeaways. And so I guess I would I would start that conversation with this question. Does does what we've either discussed or for some of us like myself have learned today about the the new state of support for PWAs and really the benefits of them, does this compel us in any way to change our day-to-day development practices or, or, or is, is Safi going to go back to Zarf and install a manifest file if there isn't one? Like, what are we going to do in response to this? And then maybe as a bigger, uh, a bigger question is what should like, you know, our fellow developers be doing now with regard to these things? Yeah. So, uh, I do have a service worker running on Zarf right now. It's like not the most robust thing in the world, but there are some ways that I can think of improving um, the progressive web app experience on Zarf that have been on my to-do list for a long time. And most of them don't deal with any of the things that we discussed explicitly. Most, a lot of them are just about um, improving page load performance and like improving um, time to like first meaningful paint and first interaction and things like that. Those are the, the big priorities for me, and I wouldn't say that they're like new priorities. There's things I knew I've had to do for a while, but haven't had the chance to get around to them. But now I'm reprioritizing them. I haven't really worked on any client work that where, where um, service workers or progressive web apps were really necessary. Uh, and I haven't really personally dug into them because they haven't been available on iOS and I've run iOS forever personally. Uh, but now that they are there, I think that I would uh, that the, I'm definitely going to be on the lookout for potential ways to incorporate some of the features, uh, if not all of them, in the future um, on future things that I work on. Maybe you could get NEJSConf.com as an offline available, like so you can have the schedule even if you have your Wi-Fi turned off. That would be really cool, actually. That's a perfect example. Yeah, especially because conferences are the worst place for internet access, right? Like everyone's, it's usually almost always Wi-Fi problems. And so then everybody's on, is on Verizon or AT&T's network. And so those are bogged down as well. That's really funny. There's that, that app that, um, gosh, I can't remember the name of it, name of it now, but it, it's basically like a, a JS fiddle for React Native and it lets you do that. I've seen examples of conference apps written in that so that you can install it, uh, basically sideloading outside of the app store, but a progressive web app would be much better. Yeah. Cause don't make me install something. That's just my attitude towards things. Unless it's like a daily use thing for a, for a drive-by use case, like let me go to an, a website. And again, going back to that conversation of like getting, not just progressively adding features, but as a user, like what, what do we say? Slowly introducing it to you. Like I just, I honestly, I love just having tabs open in Safari and just that's as far as I'm probably going to take it for a conference or for a, for a drive-by scenario. And so make that experience awesome. Events and conferences is a perfect use case. Just thinking about that more, right? Like you go to the website and get a prompt saying, hey, are you coming to the event? Add this to your home screen and you'll always have the schedule. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, and then you get rid of it when you're done. And it doesn't matter that you don't have push notifications or even the the thing with 
you know, iOS will clear out your service workers if you don't use it for a few weeks. It doesn't matter. You're at a one-time event for a week or a weekend or what have you. Get all the info you need and have it locally without having to install a clunky pain-in-the-butt application. Because like, there are these white-label conference apps, and they're all terrible. Yeah. Just have mm-hmm. a simple mobile website that has your content when you need it, even if you don't have a connection. Boom. All right, you've convinced me. Nick, make it a reality. Yes, we're doing that. Are you seeing in the talks that people are proposing, anybody talking about PWAs or service workers? Or Well, you heard that I read zero of them. Not in the nine that I've gone over yet, but <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and have I scanned the topics? No, I, I haven't done anything. I'm the worst. All right, uh, parting thoughts as we wrap this up. Um, takeaways, action steps. Are we, you know, perhaps many people still waiting for maybe a little bit better iOS support or, you know, go at it? What what would be your parting words with regard to this topic? I think they're interesting. It's definitely hard for me as a iPhone owning 20 something with high speed internet access to like truly appreciate PWAs. So as a, as a consumer, I'm not too interested in them, unfortunately. As a developer, I am interested in them as a way to make sure that all of my customers are getting resilient and reliable access to the product I'm building. My parting thought is going to be based on our, our most recent conversation, which is our most recent topic, which is we might be thinking too big. You know, when we think about these complex applications, the support is not there to necessarily make those feel as good in a PWA as it is you know, in a native application. But when we think about these little micro cases, like the conference website, event websites, things like that, suddenly we can have a dramatic shift forward from the status quo with something that is really a very minor change. So I think we should possibly start thinking about what are the other small examples that aren't these massive complex applications, but places where just having this ability to save some basic content to be in a non-network situation for a short time is going to be really valuable. Train schedules, uh, events, other types of things where you have specific information you're going to want to access and you're not sure if you're going to be in a network scenario when you want to access it. I, I think it'll get better. Uh, it, like there will be more. I like that that Google is pushing this uh, kind of like you said, through standards rather than just kind of throwing everything uh, at it like like uh, Windows is doing, Microsoft is doing. Um, pushing through standards means that there's a greater chance that uh, a lot of the features that I would really like to see coming, things like push notifications, maybe geofencing um, along with that, and maybe more access to to lower level APIs on, on iOS specifically, because that's what I have. Um, I think it'll get better through those standards pushes. Very cool. One last question coming in from the chat. Adam Stack asks, can you install from a particular URL as opposed to going to twitter.com or maybe even maybe the answer is light.twitter.com if it's a subdomain. But can you have like a subsection of your website be a PWA or does the whole thing have to be one? Yes, you can. Uh, I think you can uh, set what the the top level of that is in the manifest. And then from there, uh, you can the, the service worker can have access to that at that level, I think. Let's call that a wrap, folks. Hey, if you're not listening live, well, we just don't know what's wrong with you because this is a, uh, a community party that we have every Thursday uh, at lunchtime-ish, depending on your local time zone. So come hang out, uh, change.com slash JS party. You'll find a live link there. 
uh, join our community Slack and Slack with us in real time. You can participate in the show, much like Corbin and Adam have this time around. Um, but that's it for this week. So until then, uh, I guess just keep partying on your own until we can party together. Are you going to rap for us? This is a rap, but I don't. I do not have a rap. The show is a rap. Say what I did there. I have a poorly worded pun instead. Are you satisfied? All right. Thank you for tuning in to JS Party this week. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows. Head to changelaw.com slash community. And do us a favor. Share this show with a friend. Read us an Apple podcast. Go into Overcast and favorite it. And thank you to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. And we move fast to fix things right here at ChangeLaw because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. We're hosted on Leno Cloud Servers. Head to Leno.com slash ChangeLaw. Check them out and support this show. Our music is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at ChangeLaw.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Music